Welcome back to a, another episode of the Cornfed Coaching Podcast, joined by a very special guest this, uh, this time. Um, the Iowa Soccer Symposium is going on, so we will be uh, interviewing all the presenters. And our first presenter up, we have the great Ian Barker. Ian, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, and also, John was unavailable today, so we've managed to pick up another co-host. Uh, that's what we do here at Cornfed. We're a collaboration. So, Rich Bywater's uh, happily joined us. How are you doing, Rich? Great, thanks. Uh, excited to sub in for John. I'll do my best. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Ian, you've just done your uh, presentation at the Iowa Soccer Symposium. Talk a little bit about uh, your experience with Iowa Soccer and kind of how important the symposium is. Yeah, so um, I was the state director for Minnesota Youth Soccer. So Iowa was obviously a close uh, collaborator, Iowa U.S. Youth Soccer. And Ian Bradley was my colleague then. Uh, Sean Holmes was working a lot at Drake. Um, A lot of other people that I worked with in the club, Cedar Rapids Soccer Association was a particularly strong club, and later on West Des Moines. So I've got a really, really strong ties to Iowa Youth Soccer through that. And more recently, obviously, with, with Ross and Gareth, um, Candice kind of helping them out um, and supporting them. And then I've done a couple of things with the club, uh, the different groups of clubs. And one of the nice things about Iowa, some might say it's a little bit naive, but I would say it's actually a bit enlightened in as much as the clubs tend to get along and the clubs tend to congregate and come in. And um, what's unusual, a little bit unusual in Iowa is that, that all of the clubs tend to participate and share with each other, um, whereas in some states you get the smaller clubs, but the big ones think they're too too cool for school. So Iowa's always been, um, I think, quite Midwestern in its approach, but very similar to Minnesota, very similar to where I'm in now, Kansas, Missouri, where um, there, is, there is a good sense of collaboration. Do you think that has hindered maybe development a little bit just because we're, we're not so, how's, how am I going to put this? We, we don't have that much of a, we're missing that bite maybe. Cultural. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, I think it's, I could make the case it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't think of Iowa as being a soccer hotbed relative to, let's say, you know, even in the Midwest, uh, Michigan or Illinois. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's a very good track record of putting out some consistently good players, um, certainly from some of the ethnic groups, including uh, the Bosnian group that, that uh, I guess they were relocated to Iowa mm-hmm. and certainly Hispanic players and, and players of color. And, and then guys like Brandon, um, who was the captain of the PDL team, which is now a championship team. Um, I think, uh, I think Iowa actually, <laughs> it's almost got it. It's got it right. I mean, I think you're punching above your weight. Um, now, okay. We're not winning national championships at the levels and we don't have guys on the national teams right now, but you're Iowa, right? So, um, are you, do you have good college soccer? Absolutely. The division one program, uh, Drake, obviously quite strong, but you have some fantastic division three soccer, some junior college soccer, you're sandwiched between, Missouri, which has obviously got a strong soccer history, Kansas, uh, Minnesota, and I think I was, I think I should be very proud of what it's been doing so far. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, 
Okay, so let's dive into to your your presentation, and we'll we'll go to the Rondo side of it. I I've, I know Rich has seen you you coach as well at the the uh, conventions that you've done as well. Why? What's your draw to Rondos? How do you create them? Is that something yeah. that, that you come up with, or are these are these uh, things that you've seen? Well, the inspiration. So when I do symposiums like the one with Iowa. Sometimes you repurpose things you've done before. So you don't always do, you don't create a new content every time. Mm-hmm. The Rondo session in Iowa was um, first presented by me um, in 2019 at the convention in Chicago. And I had Chicago Fire Academy players. Yep. And part of the reason I did it was there was a debate at the time on Twitter. You always do Rondos. You never do Rondos. Rondos are really good. Rondos are really bad. And I just got sick of it. so at the convention i pretty much said anybody that tells you always do them or never do them is a charlatan Mm -hmm. here's six rondos that i like to do at different times i've seen them done at top levels all around the world Mm -hmm. i think they can be helpful um and i sort of prior to that i looked up what rondo was and i couldn't really find a better definition really than a glorified keep away activity right so all of a sudden one day keep away activities became rondos that's a little oversimplification, but to some extent, it's, it's true as well. So what I did with the session was I found six rondo activities that you would not do them all at one time in a training session, but the rondos themselves progressed in complexity. Mm-hmm. And one of them ends up in a pretty much a full-sided game. And the penultimate one is the 4v4 plus 3 which you can Google and you can find um, the best example I can find is Pep Guardiola doing it with Bayern Munich. And it's a fantastic little session. And I cannot believe that it doesn't have an application in a reasonably competitive training session, be it as a warm-up activity, being as a middle of the training session learning activity, or even the activity prior to the, to the final game. So, um, you know, manipulating space, manipulating the numbers of players, manipulating touch restrictions and conditions, making sure that within the rondo there's some element of transition. Um, that sounds a lot like the real game and, the, and a typical training session. So um, the, whether you call them rondos or whether you're too embarrassed to, to admit you don't know what it means and you just think of them as possession activities, uh, so be it. Do you think, um, Ian, do you think that the, the flexibility as well to bring out, you know, coaching points regardless of, of, of what kind of rondo you're doing really helps in that, in that space as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, it's a good question, Rich. And I think at, at all points, if you choose to just dwell on the technical requirements, you know, how you receive the ball across your body, preparing for the next touch, um, you know, shape to the ball, playing surface, left and right footed, that can be in there. Um, the tactical implications of breaking lines, splitting players with passes, and, and certainly flipping it and, and putting some um, tactical or technical information into the, the defenders or the people that are out of possession um, and transition. So from my perspective, and this is what I would consider, you know, I don't know what the terms are, right? So coach, master coach, novice coach, experienced coach, inexperienced coach. The activities themselves are completely manageable by any coach. The more experienced or 
perhaps um, proficient you are, the more you can potentially draw out of them. And if you're really not particularly um, proficient or experienced, I would argue you can set them up. The players will have a really good experience. And while you're sitting watching it, you might identify one or two things that you like, ah, oh, I, could, I could teach something, right? So it's not 101 great drills or 1,001 great drills. It's good activities that the, th- the three of us right now in the podcast could, could do the same activity but with our own special source based on our ability and maybe the ability of our players and maybe the environment we're in. So as far as on, and, and you're going to, when you presented it, I'm, I'm sure that the people at the symposium saw for the, I think the third one that was there, there was the 4v2 into the rectangle or 3v1 into the triangle. Within the coaching points, head up, move the ball quickly, be ready to offer support or split the passing option. Address principles of the play. As far as principles of play, how would you define a principle? And when you are creating a session, would you find a session and then add in the principle, try and add in the principles of play? Or would you find your principles of play first and then create the session? That's a, it's a really, uh, so I'm being really nice to you guys. It's a good question, Jack. And I know you recently went through some U.S. soccer coaching education. So <laughs> no, that, um, was very long, that was a very long time ago. Remember, I can't get yeah, so, it. Yeah, so. Like four years to get into the MIB. So, so uh, <laughs> long answer short, in my opinion, the principles of play as we have them outlined in, in U.S. soccer are immutable. They don't change. Mm-hmm. And they don't change if you're in Brazil or the U.K. or... Central America. Um, you might have a slightly different terminology for them, but they're immutable. If any of your listeners have heard of the concept of team tactical principles, which is kind of a sexy topic right now, mm-hmm. I would argue that those are sub-principles of the principles. Mm-hmm. So if I've got an 4v4, mm-hmm. all of the principles of play in and out of possession would apply in a 4v4. They only get diminished in terms of the, the, the basically five on each side if you have less numbers, right? So if, you, if you're playing 1v1, width and mobility, um, cover and balance, they don't really apply. But as soon as you get to 2v2, and by the time you're at 3v3, 4v4, so for your listeners that aren't really completely up to date or where we're at. If I've got the ball, I'm trying to hurt you with the ball. Mm-hmm. I haven't got the ball. I'm trying to stop the guy hurting me with the ball. Mm-hmm. The next players around are offering support to the ball carrier or cover to the primary defender. All of the other players on the attacking team are trying to get, make the field big and move around and open up space. And all of the other players on the defending team are trying to stay compact and and mitigate the, um, mitigate the threat of space and other players moving off the ball. That's it. That's the principles of play. Mm-hmm. You can say it in fancy language, or you can simply say, I mean, at the end of the day, if I, if I, show, if I show a group of six-year-olds my hand, one hand is spread out and one is a fist, which is the attacking team and which is the defending team, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good visual of what the principles of play are. And they don't disappear um, just because you think you're doing a rondo or just because you think you're doing a phase of play or just because you think you're doing a pattern play. They're, for me, they're immutable. They just don't, they don't go. 
Ian, would you say then you get attracted to sessions that um, make it easier to bring out the principles? So in, in terms of rondos, like you said, the, the flexibility of that. So that's what attracts you to a session as, as opposed to, you know, just the actual session design part of it. Yeah. So from my perspective, if I walk past the field and you're running a session, Rich, and I look at it and I'm not quite getting it, and I ask you, what are you doing? All I want is for you to be able to tell me your rationale behind what you're doing. <laughs> what, if, if the answer is, I don't know, okay, that's not the rationale, right? But, but basically, why am I playing a game with three teams or two teams and one team resting, right? So as long as the coach has his or her rationale for the session, um, then I'm then I'm then I'm totally comfortable with that. And as soon as we get beyond the tiny technical repetitive type activities, you know, just like pass and move, pass and move, pass and move, where we're really dwelling on the, the technical, as soon as I get into one v one, if I get into a one v one session with kids, principles of play will emerge. So I don't go looking for the principles of play. I just make sure that I they address them in whatever activity I'm doing. Are you, so you're addressing them after they come out, not before. Yeah. So it's that, um, gosh, I'm so flattering to you guys today. Uh, um, I, I, this is my, my personal preference um, to a session. And I would highly recommend this to all of your listeners at whatever level they're at. Know what you, want to, what you want to train in the session. When you get there, let the kids get sorted out. Have the area or the space ready and tell them where to go. So, you know, I want five blues on that side, six blues on that side. Two of you got to be on that channel and two of you got to be in that channel. Once you've done that, once they're in the physical space, so they're not huddled around you, they're actually in the physical space. Then you say the objective of the game is the blue team to score in the two counter goals. The objective of the red team is to score in the big goal, whatever the hell it is. Just tell them what the basic objective is and then shut up and watch it for as long as you can be patient. Because my argument is the kids need to see the space, feel the space, get a sense of the, the basic rules. So you're going to let them run. After you've let them go for eight, nine minutes, whatever that allotted time is, and you've been incredibly efficient with that time, then you can start to see okay, where are they maybe executing above and beyond what I expected? Where is there perhaps a little deficiency and where can I add in content to support them? But I think to a little bit to your point, Jack, the challenge a lot of us have is we go in and we, we list the principles of play and we tell them what it's going to look like and then it doesn't, those, those elements don't emanate from the session. So, from my perspective, the experienced coach has an idea of what he or she wants to get out of the session, but before they make those assumptions, they've got to let the session organically grow. Now, I could, I could have devised a session on the basis of what happened on Saturday. So I could say, you know, we had a disappointing 2-1 loss, and I think we, were, we weren't pressing the ball high enough up the field. So we're going to look at that today, but I'm going to put them in the activity and then see how they deal with the activity. Sorry. You um, 
so when when that's happening then Ian, how far do you i guess navigate from your initial plan and you know you said you're waiting for the kid you know you, you let them go for eight or nine minutes how much do you deviate from that plan or have you got to set you know a couple of things that you want to work on and, and pull them out of it yeah so it, there are occasions where you blow the plan up and you just do something else <laughs> because it's a bad day they're not getting it you're not getting it that's fine right just pull the shoe the majority of times though um there's a pretty good likelihood if you've been around long enough that they won't present challenges you haven't seen in some capacity before, right? So this is where the experienced coach with intentionality can say, okay, I'll pull from this, this part of my library because they're operating at a much higher level. So the example, um, and it's part of the Iowa symposium, there are YouTube sessions of me doing those sessions at the convention. Um, and in both cases, I had good players. In the case of the Rondo session, I had the Chicago Fire Academy. So they completely blew my session out of the water to the good and posed way more challenges and insights and things to talk about than I could, could have reasonably imagined. But I'm capable of doing that because I'm, I'm just old and I've been around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, for the less experienced coach, exactly the same session, exactly the same um, uh, uh, high achieving, but maybe they don't have anything else to add, right? So just let them do it. Maybe manage some of the variables so you can make it more challenging by making the space smaller or putting a condition in, but maybe you just aren't ready to have the insight to to take it to the next quote-unquote level, but that's not that's not a bad thing because as long as you're keeping them active and you're giving them good content and there's challenge, right? Because whatever the session is, if it's too challenging, frustration, boredom, misery, if it's too easy, frustration, boredom, misery, right? So the, the bigger trick is not how much, you know, the bigger trick is how sensitive you are to the response of your players. We are in. Good stuff. Ian, thanks for, uh, for jumping on. We really appreciate it. That's uh, the reason we started the podcast, I think, in the, is, is for coaching education and linking up with the Iowa Soccer Symposium, having you on and kind of dive into a little bit uh, about the rondos. I know that some coaches struggle with it a little bit and the principles of play and things like that, and I think that everyone listening will appreciate it. Um, just before we end, selfishly, uh, one of my uh, New Year's resolutions, if you will, was to, to read more books. I was never as academic as I should have been in school. And I feel like reading books has helped me a lot as a, as a coach so far this year. And I see there's a huge abundance of books behind you there. <laughs> if, there was a, if there was a book that you were going to suggest for, uh, for me and Rich to uh, progress as a coach, what, what, would, they, what would it be? Mm, good question. So... The, there is an author called Doug Lemov, L-E-M-O-V, Doug Lemov. His most recent book is about coaching, not soccer coaching specifically, but about the art, art of coaching. So I would um, recommend Doug Lemov, L-E-M-O-V. The most recent book that was sent to me to, um, <laughs> to say nice things about <laughs> was a book called The Alchemy Coaching. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, um, 
Grant and Patty are two young coaches working in America, and they wrote a book about rondos and positional play. Um, they self-publish, so it's a little spendy. So it might be one that three of you buy and share the copy, but that's kind of an interesting book. Um, and then I will, I will make a plug. If you just want a true story, soccer story, and just reading, just like something that you just won't put down, it's, um, it's actually supporting my computer right now. Mm-hmm. This is one of my, this is probably my favorite soccer book. It's called The Miracle of Castel de Sangro. And it's the story of a little village that rose to Syria B. It's completely true. And um, it's by an author called Joe McGuinness. He recently passed away. But Joe McGuinness, The Miracle of Castel de Sangro, best, best soccer story book I ever read. Look at that. Perfect. I'm sure that me and Rich will be talking about those. Rich, I know you're a big reader too. What's, what, what's one of the books that you've been. Uh... Would, would suggest for coaches that are listening or parents? Um, to be honest, I've spent most of my time um, reading non-soccer uh, books um, of late. I, I spend a lot of my time, obviously, involved in soccer. But the last one that I just uh, read was uh, Simon Sinek's Start With Why, which mm-hmm. um, uh, relates to all types of principles of leading people and teams, which I, I found really effective. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, if you don't want to read the book, the, we'll start with the 18-minute um, YouTube clip of Simon Sinek talking about why, and it uh, it will change your coaching for sure. Yeah, the Golden Circle is a, a tremendous piece uh, to, to work off of, and I know that we're using it within our club right now to try and define our principles and we want to be, so I would say that that's something for, for everyone to have a read at. Yeah, I th- no, the whole idea that it's not about how what we do and how we do it, it's about why we do it and you start there. So come on then, Jack, what are you reading, apart from the Beano and the Dandy and whatever? <laughs> I'm currently reading uh, Gold Dust. It's by uh, uh, who is it by? I can't remember. Two brothers um, talking about leadership, connections, relationships with with your players, and uh, they dive into some some good stories of, of of why they wrote the book and dealing with different cultures. And I think that's something that I'm starting to deal with in, with within my club and dealing with. Um, local Latino communities, African communities, and kind of trying to build that that relationship when when they really need it, and it's a it's a it's a good one and helping me as far as leadership with kind of with. Well, it. Just along those lines, something really interesting just happened to me um, about um, right around Christmas time. The University of Wisconsin had a reunion for the '95 team, mm-hmm. um, and about twenty of them showed up. And then a month later, McAllister, where I used to work, which is right in there with Warburg and, and Luther and all those, um, just had an alumni night. And we had people from 40 years ago and people that graduated a year ago kind of thing. It was about 40. Both of those were, were about connection based around the sport and based around a common identity with a university and, you know, and, but they were all human connections. They, we didn't. We talked a little bit. We we talked peripherally about results and funny things that happened. But it was so much more about the relationships than the wins and losses. Um, and I think that's just what happens over time. The, the the kids that are associated with your club, you know, in a few years when they come back from their colleges or they come back to their communities, start their families and their jobs will have a, they won't be thinking, they won't be talking about the experiences 
on the field as much as they will be about the broader experience around the program. Just, it, it just is, it just happened. So that, that's, that's from a, a college standpoint. So how we'll, we'll just end on this too, as well, as far as parent education, how do you, how do you talk to parents about that, about winning, the winning and losing isn't, isn't the, the penultimate kind of part, especially at a younger age, you've got college players coming back and saying that it wasn't about that. It was about the connections. How do we tell the parents or guide the parents towards that at such a young age when the U13 team is getting beat every single weekend? Yeah. So one of the things I would consider doing is adding, and and this would be instead of the sort of the typical talk to them and appeal to their common sense and things like that Mm -hmm. is actually shift behaviors by act through action So, for example, if you set up a very modest service opportunity for the kids, right? So let's say you've got a group of U13s and you can mask them up and you can take them to the local old people's home, which has been shut down for the last, you know, couple of weeks. And they all wear their uniforms. So you get a little bit of PR and they go and talk to the to the people in the care home. Or you do one of those, adopt a highway and you, you take them out on a Saturday instead of doing yet another training and you clean up a mile of highway and maybe they put the sign up, the city puts the sign up. Or the kids do a grocery, they go down and volunteer at a cat shelter. I don't know what it is, right? But it's something which is, it's something that it's visual, it's physical, and it's you as the club saying, right now I couldn't give a rat's patootie about the tryouts and who's going to transfer here. I'm just going to take real pride in you all wearing our uniform and for an hour, we're going to bag groceries. For an hour, we're going to pick up trash. For an hour, we're going to clean, you know, litter boxes. I don't know what the hell it is. But I think service is an easy thing for a club to achieve. And it, it's, it doesn't go away, right? Physically, you can see it. It creates memories short term. It creates memories long term. And you're, you, get, you get seen not in a not in a gratuitous like look at me way, but you just you, you're visual, and I think it there's there's no way a parent can say to you why are we doing this right? It, it's it's a it's a little bit passive aggressive, but for me service would be a would be a very unique way as opposed to sitting them all in a classroom and saying you know this is how you should be a better parent because they don't care, nor should they. Yeah, I think that's they. an awesome idea, and I think then it speaks to. Honestly, Jack, as well, what what the clubs communicate and and how we communicate, and I think a lot of the times we we sell our wins, and, and our wins are usually that that it looks like it's a winning a medal, a trophy, a state cup, or you know a, a play going to a D one. And if you're able to market and, and communicate those pieces, what you're talking about there, Ian, that really touches on the feels and the human element, I think then then we're really living our why. Then we're really showing the parents this is who we are and what we believe opposed to just you know selling the wins well the the little guys too Jeff, right i mean they should be we don't do it enough but you'd like to see the little guys go and support the high school program mm-hmm. so people rubbish high school soccer too much in this country mm-hmm. and even if you've got even if the your players technical tactical coaching experience is superior in their club environment than their high school environment I would still argue there's a tremendous amount of value to be had in the high school environment, mm-hmm. including representing your school, 
having a tie into academics because you can't play if you don't have the right academics. Um, probably get more people come to watch you for your high school team than do for your club team. So why not take the tens and elevens out there? Make them be ball boys, right? Make them take a photo. Um, and then if you've got older kids in the high school program, have them give autographs to the little kids. That type of, I mean, it's the type of football that we have this romantic notion of. And of course, we're, you know, a lot of Europeans, but we, we, we've gone away from that sometimes in this country. Um, and I'm, I'm very familiar with how communal and humble and accessible your programming is. But at the same time, how incredibly competitive you guys can get and lose sight of the reason. Because how many of how many of the boys and girls that you have currently in your programs will play in the MLS or the NWSL? It, it, it's so statistically irrelevant. So there better be something else at the end of it. Um, and the same would apply for college scholarship, right? So this is this is this is more than I mean. And I'm not suggesting they can't achieve these things if they're in the drama club or the church group or the lacrosse club. It's, it's really, you've got them in this managed environment. Can you manage it on a more, you know, enlightened and, and interesting level than we have done in traditional competitive American youth sports? Absolutely. Well, Ian, thanks so much for uh, joining us. That was uh, that was fantastic, and we know that the uh, the listeners will enjoy it. Um, make sure if you were if you missed Ian's presentation and you still signed up, you're able to watch it for the next three months. Uh, thanks again, Ian. Thanks, Rich. I've got two questions. Go on, hit me. Do you know where the tap room is in Des Moines? Yes. Yes, because yes, I've been there. Gareth bought me a T-shirt. If you two will buy me a beer when I go there next. And I still don't have my corn-fed T-shirt. <laughs> I, know it, I know it's coming because it's only been a year and a half. We send it to England first and then they have to send it back. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yes, we'll get in that to you for sure. And we definitely, me and we will definitely buy you. And I'll wear it on air. So. It's perfect. Thanks. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it. Mate. All right, fellas. Rich, Jack, yes, pleasure. Cheers, guys. See you later.